The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hey, warm welcome to this Friday edition of Squawbots. We've got Jeff Cutmore in Moscow. We've got Karen Chow, myself, Steve Sedgwick, around the desk in London. And these are your headlines. Amazon crushing first quarter estimates as profit more than doubles to a record high. But the retailer flags a lower operating profit for the second quarter. Ride-hailing giant Uber will kick off its uh, IPO roadshow later today, reportedly seeking a valuation of between 80 and 90 billion dollars. Chinese President Xi Jinping defends his Belt and Road Initiative as he urges, urges trading partners to treat Beijing fairly. We hope that other countries will also create an enabling environment of investment, treat Chinese enterprises, students and scholars as equals. Shares in Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank close lower after the German lenders call off merger talks. As Deutsche's CFO tells CNBC, a deal for its asset management business is still on the cards. When we took DWS public last year, we said two things. One is we part of the rationale for the IPO was that we would continue to, or we would look to cons- uh, uh, participate in consolidation in the asset management industry. A very good morning to you all. Lots going on this Friday, including, of course, the GDP data. First blush uh, a little bit later on out of the United States. Um, We are looking, in quite a strange way, really, for numbers that are due out from Deutsche Bank. Uh, They're due imminently. And yet, of course, we had numbers out from Deutsche Bank uh, to a certain degree, a limited amount of information yesterday. Uh, I can see one flash that says Deutsche Bank first quarter uh, provisions for credit losses, 117 million euros. But it, to be honest, it's really by the by compared with the headline figures we saw yesterday in a pre-release uh, set of figures where they said pre-tax profits were 290 million euros. <clears throat> that fell for a third year on year uh, and net profits fell two thirds to 200 million uh, euros. There's a trickle of extra information coming out here as well uh, and including this extraordinary figure here which Karen and I have already talked about uh, in our brief pre-chat about Deutsche about an hour ago and it was managing towards return on tangible equity of above 4% in 2019. Let me put that in context for you. Return on tangible equity for a whole host of banks that have been coming out across Europe this week have been coming in uh, relatively strongly around the 10% figure. Uh, and Deutsche is managing to try and get to the 4% figure in 2019. I haven't seen today's figure as of yet, but I can tell you, but analysts expect the figure to be, what do you think it's going to be? Yeah, they reckon it's going to be around about 1.5% this year from only 0.4% previously. A woeful return on tangible equity. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Well, it tells you about the challenge that Deutsche Bank has and why all options have been on the table, including consolidating with Commerce Bank, despite all the opposition, all the hurdles, the job cuts, and really any politicians in the background trying to push through this deal. So it tells you why there was genuine energy to do something different. The question is what uh, Christian Saving comes up with now in a brand new plan as Commerce Bank has 
parked somewhere else and potentially consolidating with a rival that may cause the conditions to be even more competitive on the ground for Deutsche. We have the full statement uh, care of the Deutsche Bank website as well. So let me just run through these numbers. They are saying right at the top here, net income up 67% year on year to 201 million euros after bank levy charges of 604 million euros. But here's the rub here. Revenues down 9% year on year, down 5% on X specific terms. Revenues on global banking transactions up 6%. But this is the stuff they put uh, at the top of the statement as well. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper and just see where uh, they are doing on a whole host of other measures as well. They're talking about costs, sustained year-on-year reductions, 2019 target reaffirmed, non-interest expenses of 5.9 billion euros, down 8% year on year as well. But a whole host of issues here. Uh, provisions for credit losses, 140 million euros in the quarter, up 60% year on year. CT1 ratio, 13.7% improvement of 18 basis points. Here we go. This is the figure I wanted to show you. Return, post-tax return on tangible equity, ROTE, R-O-T-E, was 1.3% in the quarter versus 09 uh, in the prior year quarter. That is a woeful, woeful return on tangible equity. And how do we turn it around? I mean, you talk about uh, the backdrop for banking in Europe. You've got an ECB that's not moving on uh, deposit rates, which are negative territory. You've got a, a macroeconomic environment that has been somewhat weaker. So unless there's a pickup uh, domestically in Germany or internationally, where do those extra profits come from? An investment banking, well, we need the client activity mm. to start to improve from somewhere. That's been a problem for all the banks, even the strong banks <laughs> right over in the United States. OK, well, look, Annette, you are our resident expert on Deutsche. Lucky old you. And you join us from Frankfurt as well. So I have a question for you. And it comes courtesy of a piece of copy. I look a lot of copy in the morning, our own CNBC.com. And I also looked at the FT and a piece by Olaf Storbeck in Munich, Guy Shazan in Berlin and Stephen Morris in Zurich. And it says this in paragraph one, two, three, four, five. Uh, number five, Deutsche Bank's chief executive, Christian Saving, is preparing a new strategic plan following the collapse of talks. New strategic plan. The man's been in job, uh, the job a year. He's been in crisis mode for a year. The talks only lasted six weeks. Presumably, he just goes back to the strategic plan he was already, already enacting. Why does he need a new one? Good morning to you. Good morning, Steve. I don't think he's going to prepare a new one, first of all, even if the FT is writing that. What they are planning on doing is concentrating on, uh, on their strategic plan, which they're having, and execute on that. And I think Christian Saving, to be fair, I know we can talk about the low profitability of the bank. He has done quite a good job to rein in costs during the course of last year. And what he's probably doing now, and also what I was hearing uh, yesterday, is that they probably will accelerate their cost cutting, but at the same time, try to boost revenues in certain areas. And to be fair, the revenue line was actually a beat. And that was the first beat on revenues. And I don't know how many quarters and I don't remember when they last beat on revenues. So I guess we can fa fairly say that the first quarter, even if it's not like a stellar picture at Deutsche Bank, but at least it is a bit better than expected. It, okay, fair enough. The expectations were very 
very low. Analysts are very pessimistic about the outlook for the bank. But looking at A, they ha they could attract more asset under management and, uh, in the wealth management business. And also, uh, CIB is not looking like a complete disaster. But having said that, clearly, they need to overhaul the business, perhaps even quicker and they need to come up also with a solution for their asset management business because clearly they're, they're stuck in the middle and we most likely will see some more movement, some more merger stories around that business. We have been reporting on that clearly during the last couple of days as well. But let me first concentrate on why the merger, that big potential like consolidation story here on the German banking side didn't work. I caught up first on with James von Molke, the CFO of Deutsche Bank yesterday and here told us the following. Take a listen. We were looking for a compelling financial case in addition to the, the strategy of pursuing an in-market in merger. Um, and over the course of the last several weeks, uh, that case just simply didn't emerge. As we said in our announcement, it's a combination of net synergies, implementation costs, the capital impact, and ultimately return for shareholders. And that case, the business case, simply wasn't there. Did you feel a lot of opposition also from the shareholders or from the investors? We obviously heard uh, a great deal in terms of stakeholder interests, and, and that was a factor in our, in our thinking. Ultimately, had there been a truly compelling strategic and financial case, uh, we would have proceeded. Um, but the stakeholder interests are, are obviously an element of our thinking as we consider um, a transaction of this size and magnitude. Wasn't it compelling because you were not uh, ready to make those ruthless job cuts, which uh, were always kind of linked to that potential merger? Look, I think both companies have a track record of implementing restructuring, even in Germany, and we felt comfortable in our ability to do that over time. Um, the question, though, is the financial assumptions and ultimately how much of that benefit emerges, how quickly and at what cost. So it was less about our execution capacity and more about the financial impact. We obviously take into account the ex execution risks, and if something of this magnitude, those are considerable, uh, but it has less to do with, I think, the, the combined implementation capability of the two banks. So even though that big merger is, not out of, is now out of the way, um, it's not going to happen. It will not be the end of uh, reporting surrounding Deutsche Bank. I guess we'll, got, we'll get a lot more stories surrounding that bank because clearly they have a lot of scandals left to be resolved, money laundering, Russia money laundering, but also the big question, how they want to raise profitability. Um, the first quarter, you were pointing it out, it still showed a very low profitability in the the target for 2019 is 4%, and clearly a lot of analysts are doubting that the bank can achieve that. Perhaps they're right, but we don't know exactly what the plan for management is. And probably at the latest, at the AGM May 23rd, they will present shareholders with perhaps an updated strategy or perhaps an acceleration of what they've already promised. Back to you. Annette, just a quick one on the cost, because I noticed that non-interest expenses down 8% adjusted costs also down 7%. It feels like the business has done a lot to strip out any excess trying to bolster these numbers today. Is there anything else that can be taken out of this business? Well, it probably, yes. I think there are still areas in investment banking which they could shrink and also like some 
other areas, also in, in the corporate field, I guess. Um, exactly, I, I can't really answer that question to you now, but I guess there is still room to maneuver here for uh, Christian Seving. They were always pointing out that there's still more which can be done inside Deutsche Bank to cut costs even further. But what I've been hearing, it's actually the first CEO in years who uh, managed to cut costs at the lender because... Um, there was this saying oh, inside Deutsche Bank, they're very good at coming up with strategy, but they're very poor at implementing them. And Christian Seving seems to be the guy who's actually starting to implement stuff as well. Back to you. Annette, thank you very much. We have uh, another window into Deutsche Bank uh, with the numbers crossing from uh, DWS, the asset management business uh, that has been in consolidation talks. A DWS group uh, total revenues have decreased to 534 million euros in the first quarter versus uh, 549 million at the end of last year in the final three months. When it comes to Q1 adjusted profit before tax, that's decreased to 153 million euros. It was 160 million in the final quarter. The Q1 net income at 102 million euros for Q1, that is uh, slightly above uh, what was uh, posted in the fourth quarter. And when it comes to assets under management, that increased to 704 billion in uh, Q1 versus 662 billion. So going in the right direction, it is targeting adjusted cost income ratio for the full year of 2019 of about 70%, uh, assuming flat revenues compared to 2019. So you know, I don't know about that assumption being a flat I revenue just, um, outlook. And just uh, one more yeah, to, to finish off the flashes. Apart from that, uh, the outlook for 2019 remains unchanged from the one published in their 2018 annual report. In some ways, you've got to say that's a positive, given all the noise and the negativity that surrounded uh, these companies uh, that are Deutsche Bank. So I have two points to raise, perhaps from a more holistic point of view as well. Is, is, is Do larger AUMs equal larger profits anymore as well? And, and I think I'm just chucking that question out there. I think one could argue both sides of the coin. The other point I want to just raise, again, I'm just putting questions out there, is what happens to this industry if and when the ETP stroke ETF industry really starts revving up. I, I heard a stunning statistic from Whaley uh, of BlackRock yesterday, who was talking to you and I around the desk as well, and I didn't realise it was as low. Low single digit is the penetration right of ETP product into global investor flows at the moment. I was staggered by that. I presumed it was double digit. I mm. thought it was you know 10% plus, maybe in the teens. It was. I think it was coverage of only about 4% of global equities are currently in ETPs or ETFs. Given the what happens? And, and so this is the, markets, you know yeah. the, the increase of passive as well. Given the challenges that active management have had on performance, not alone necessarily having more funds into active, but actually the performance of those funds when they are there. Given the relatively high rate of fees compared with an ETP type product as well, what happens to this industry when that industry? starts really motoring. Well, it gets a lot harder. I mean, it's pretty obvious it when you talk about active versus passive. In the past 12 months, we know how difficult it's been for the actives. Yeah. So if that so, accelerates... So, so, so let me ask you another question. You and I will be in the financial service industry. Hopefully, let's just say we get run a full course and for another 15, 20 years. Where what happens to AUM at wealth managers and active trading compared with the flow of passive over that period. Is it foretold in law that this is that one will go like this and the other one will have a steady decline? I don't know the answer to these questions, but I know that a lot of people in the asset management industry are terrified. Yeah, we've got to push on. We've got okay, more numbers sorry, crossing. Yeah. Uh, Signify just out with its numbers as well. And uh, the company reported at first quarter sales of 1.5 billion euros. Uh, the net income has more than doubled to 44 million euros. 
It uh, has gone on to confirm its 2019 outlook. The company uh, breaking down the first quarter saying its installed base of connected light points increased from 34 million in Q1 last year to 47 million by this quarter. It uh, is a growing profit engine's 1.1%. Uh, the company also uh, going on to say they're satisfied with the 1.1% sales growth of their growing profit engines in the first quarter, adjusted against that backdrop of headwinds in China and Europe. So a couple of headwinds are being uh, cited to us today. Eric Ondelet joins us, CEO of Signify. Eric, perhaps you can put it in your own words and just describe the first quarter and how it played out for you. Yes, good morning to all of you. Well, in Q1, uh, we are delivering on our two key uh, strategic objectives. So as you have mentioned it, one of them is about our growing engines. And despite challenging market conditions, they've grown by 1.1%, but they have also improved on the profitability by more than 200 basis points. Our second strategic objective is to make sure that the company as a whole is improving its profitability. That's the case in Q1 by 80 basis points, delivering a 55 million solid free cash flow. And as you've said, doubling the net income. So uh, we are satisfied with Q1 as we deliver not only on the numbers, but we also successfully execute on our strategy. Do you want to give us a sense of the headwinds you're seeing in China and Europe? Because you get the sense that when it comes to the new economy, anything connected, that that part of the economy is still holding up relatively well. But what you're suggesting today is even that new parts of the economy are still being hit by the macroeconomic downturn or the slower pace that we've had this year. Yeah, we can look at what's happening in the world and how it impacts our business. So you know that most of the growth estimates for 2019 worldwide have been brought down and we feel it. So first of all, in China, we've seen a headwind since the second semester of 2018. That's also the case in Q1 2019. We know that the government is implementing measures of a fiscal nature at this point in time to stimulate the economy. We don't feel the impact on our business at this point in time. In Europe, a lot of uh, different situations. So we've seen the slowdown of manufacturing namely automotive. We've seen also the slowdown of trade. Uh, Brexit is still generating a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and we see countries, you know, that had a positive traction um, having um, headwinds like France, like Germany, like Italy. And our business, you know, we're very strong in Europe. We're really leading in Europe and we feel that impact. U.S. is still quite strong for us. You know, even if we see the early sign of a cooling of the construction market, uh, we still see a, a a strong attraction in US and we had a good performance there. Eric, good morning to you, my friend. Look, I'm just looking down through the 17-page statement as well. And one thing that stands out to me uh, is cash. Cash flows uh, look like they're really challenging. In fact, net cash provided by and used for operations is a negative 81 figure from a previous uh, positive 33 million euro figure as well. You're under a lot of pressure on your cash flow, sir. Good morning to you. Good morning, Stephen. Well, when you look at the performance in cash, it's 55 million in Q1 2019 compared to a minus six uh, in Q1 2018. Uh, so the cash performance has been strong on the basis of a strong operational uh, margin performance uh, and also less restructuring cash out than in the previous period. So uh, a very good start uh, with the cash in, in Q1 2019. Just on that point that Cameron raised earlier about the competitive environment there and the ability 
to maintain margin. We have got a very strong focus on China at the moment and President Xi speaking today as well. As well, Are the Chinese competitors undercutting you left, right and centre, sir? The market is competitive. You know, I've seen that in the past quarters, and I know that this is a subject that you and I discuss very often about. It's a reality. Uh, there is a pressure on prices. And, uh, you know, we are on the battlefield and we are playing with our weapons, which is to invest in, this, in the industry, to segment the offers, to bring differentiation. So let me give you examples. Uh, we had, uh, again, won an award for design on the app of our U offer, the app 3.0, and that happened in Q1. Uh, we are also trying to develop new growth platforms like horticulture in Japan for the company called Prime Delica. So they are the supplier of the 7-Eleven uh, shops uh, in Japan and they deliver very high quality lettuce. So we've been equipping them with a new lighting solution which is helping them to reduce the time from seed uh, to harvest from 70 days to 39 days. We can also do that with light. So our answer is to continue investing uh, in the industry, continue to be a responsible company because we also are going to be carbon neutral uh, in 2020. And in the midterm, we believe that these weapons uh, are going to pay off. And I notice you're taking the fight to that part of the world as well, Asia Pacific, with the Wiz acquisition as well. So, Eric, we'll come back to you another time, but really nice to speak to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Eric Rondelat, who is the CEO of Signifiant. Uh, coming up on the show, Amazon smashes first quarter profit estimates. But the numbers... Well, they didn't go, the, the market didn't rally aggressively. In fact, it came off a little bit from the highs. So why are they underdelivered on their expectations for second quarter guidance? We'll speak to Elizabeth Shortsey after a very short break. Uh, we'll do a little bit of work on it later on as well, but the industrials were under enormous pressure yesterday. 3M dragging down the day. I think it was one of their worst days since like Black Monday or something horrendous there. Anyway, let's move on to another side of the market. Uber is reportedly set to price shares for its hotly anticipated IPO at between 44 and 50 bucks per share, according to multiple reports. That would value the ride-hailing company at 80 to 90 billion dollars, less than the 120 billion dollar valuation pitched by investment bankers last year. The offering is set to be the second biggest ever US debut uh, after Alibaba in 2014. Uh, Uber is expected to publicly file its price range later today before listing on the New York Stock Exchange early next month. Amazon has smashed first quarter earnings estimates, posting its best ever quarterly profit. Earnings per share came in sharply higher than expectations, while revenue matched estimates for Elizabeth has been pouring through the numbers. It was fascinating. We were all expecting a ramp up in spending from a lot of the big tech names, including Amazon, and it didn't really materialize. Didn't really materialize. A little bit of prediction for a ramp up of spending in the second quarter, and that's because of this announcement that Amazon will spend $800 million for one day shipping for its Prime members. So that's getting a lot of attention. Which we already this have morning. here in the UK. We do have that elsewhere. one day option, so mm. it's not as crazy for some of the international customers, but 100 million Prime customers, it's a pretty big commitment, will, will require a bit of investment. Yeah, slightly bigger country as well. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. So, but looking at these numbers, record profit once again, EPS surging, you know, 27%, revenues were up 17%. Uh, and if you look at the breakdown across different segments, the, the growth was again from the high margin businesses. So if you look at AWS, sales grew 41%, Amazon subscription 40%. Now advertising, a little bit of a slowdown in that section that was up 34%. And that's where we've seen 
huge growth in the past few quarters. A little bit of talk about that, and that's some of what analysts are blaming on the shares being a little bit lower than expected. Other growth was from third-party sellers. Physical stores only up 1%, so that is a bit where Amazon's not quite figured it out yet, and that's part of that Whole Foods um, acquisition. But generally, very strong report here across most of those segments. Just quickly on that advertiser side, because that was going to be the swing side to the upside and also negatively for Facebook. But we had Facebook out, and they converted well on the advertisers, and Amazon's not doing so well. So there's still a lot of extra effort Amazon needs to put in to try and conquer this space. That's right. Amazon is the third player here after Google and Facebook, and it still needs to continue to make those big investments. A part of the slowdown is just really that it came from such a high point. It's hard to continue to go from from the, where it was before. Lots and lots of amazing stats here. And obviously, everyone's looking for signs of weakness. One that I saw elsewhere, the U.S. e-commerce market is worth around about $601 billion at the moment. Amazon has got 47% of it. And apologies, I forgot where I saw this statistic. 47% of it by one measure. eBay's only got 6.1%. Should we worry about regulation? That is the number one threat to Amazon, according to most analysts. We are already seeing that threat here in the uh, in Europe materializing. We saw an inquiry just last week from Italy, for example. But uh, and we have a lot of politicians talking about it. So far, no concrete action. So Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.